Hey there, and welcome to the Box Office Watch Podcast, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show recapping the weekend of April 9th through the 11th, 2021. My name's Paulo, and I'm your host. Hope everyone is doing well. I had a bit of a rough weekend. Uh, like I mentioned last episode, I got my second dose of the Pfizer vaccine Friday afternoon, and while the day while day of most of what I got was just a, a bit of a sore arm in the evening. Saturday afternoon, I was hit by a bunch of aches and a bit of a fever. So uh, luckily, that's all past now. Feeling great, and you know, come the two week mark from getting the vaccine, uh, it'll be fully effective as per CDC guidelines. And I'm hoping I'll be in the theater again. Maybe Godzilla versus Kong. IMAX, maybe uh, Demon Slayer uh, to catch the US release. Um, in any case, I hope that I'll feel that this vaccine has been worth it. Uh, in any case, we have a couple of headlines to go over this weekend, um, some new movie dates, some new streaming deals. But before all that, let's check in on the domestic box office numbers, shall we? In first place, once again, is Godzilla vs. Kong in its second weekend. It dropped about 57% to $13.8 million, uh, in 3,084 theaters for a per average of $4,501. Uh, total gross domestically sits at $70 million. Now, that drop is definitely in line with what we see from HBO Max drops, uh, generally a little bit on the steeper end of things compared to what we would see in pre-pandemic days. Uh, that being said, it's already gotten to the highest gross for a film post-COVID, beating out Tenet's 58 million domestic total over its entire run. So, you know, I, I would say we could probably expect it to lay out to probably 90 million or possibly even 100 million domestically. And of course, you know, we've still got the usual headlines that Godzilla vs. Kong led the way for the best month in HBO Max since its release, um, which is no surprise. Well, maybe a few months ago it would have been a surprise if you said Godzilla vs. Kong would have gotten more HBO subscribers than Wonder Woman 1984. Um, anyway, overseas Godzilla vs. Kong now sits at $288.3 million uh, for a $358.3 million total worldwide. Now, Deadline has a report saying that this may actually be profitable for Warner Brothers, uh, which is a big deal considering that this is happening so soon after the pandemic. Um, so let's break down those numbers and see what that looks like, shall we? So, Godzilla vs. Kong production budget was $160 million to be made. Uh, Legendary funded 75% of that, so $120 million, and Warner Brothers paid the remaining $40 million. Now, as part of the HBO Max day and date deal last, you know, December, um, they ended up, you know, negotiating something out where Warner would buy out Legendary's share of the film, pay them back, you know, the 120 million dollars that they invested in production, um, which in turn would grant Warner uh, the worldwide white rights to the film, um, including in China. So, you know. Add on that, you know, normally an international marketing release is about $100 million or so. Um, given that, you know, South America and Europe haven't been, haven't been uh, you know, really open yet, um, say instead of $100 million, it's, you know, $70 million for advert- print and advertising costs. Um, that'll bring the total cost for Warner Brothers uh, Studios up to $230 million. Um, and of course, you know, there's also going to be on top of that uh, a licensing fee that they're paying uh, to um to legendary a distributor a distributor fee um which uh you know no no numbers on what that might be but you know i don't think it would be you know in the same order of magnitude as you know 230 million dollars so you know with 
seventy million dollars made domestically as of this weekend. Say there's a fifty-fifty distributor exhibitor split, um, as is usually the case. That's going to be thirty-five million dollars going to Warner Brothers Studio uh, in China. You know, so far it's made about one hundred sixty million or so. So you know, there, there, China. You know, distributors usually get about twenty-five percent of the box office gross. So you know, out of one sixty million, that's another forty million dollars. Um, and then you know, the rest of the world has made one hundred twenty million dollars. In general, you see somewhere in the forty-five percent is range um, of the share of box office totals that distributors get to keep. So, forty-five uh, percent of one hundred twenty million dollars is about fifty-five million dollars. So, to recap, that's thirty-five million domestic, forty million from China, and fifty-five million from the rest of the world, uh, coming out to one hundred thirty million dollars in total box office gross. Now, based off of those numbers, you know, forecasting numbers from sources that Deadline have uh, estimates the following numbers for downstream revenue. Uh, for international TV deals, um, that's going to be $60 million. Uh, from domestic home entertainment, so this is PPV, pay-per-view rentals, um, and also, you know, physical media as well. Um, so after costs, uh, not including, you know, streaming uh, and not including HBO Max, um, this is another $65 million for domestic, and then another $25 million for the same uh, home entertainment market. For internationally, so you know, sixty million, sixty-five million, twenty-five million. That gets us to one hundred and fifty million dollars uh, from additional revenue. So, in addition to the one hundred thirty million dollars from box office grosses, this is one two hundred and eighty million dollars so far, which again is now above the two hundred thirty million dollars of total production and advertising costs for the film. Um, and this is before interest and other boring accounting stuff that you know may increase those costs. Now, the last bit of revenue for Warner Brothers is a little bit tricky. It's kind of the trick that they can play because AT&T owns both HBO Max, uh, Warner Media, and the studio's Warner Brothers. Um, so, you know, the HBO Max, Warner Media part of the company has to pay a licensing fee to Warner Brothers Studios uh, for the day and date release uh, because, you know, obviously everyone got very upset because of that. So they agreed to basically play a deal, which is either at least $10 million or 25% of production costs, i.e. the $160 million, whichever is greater. So in this case, $40 million for the uh, you know the backend licensing fee to pay out you know the participations um, to the uh, to the various uh, parties involved. So you know uh, the studio entity for Warner Brothers again separate from Warner Media HBO Max uh, another forty million dollars added to the two hundred eighty million from uh, from you know downstream revenue and box office makes a $320 million revenue on box on Roger versus Kong against the cost of $230 million. So about $90 million in profit, um, again, which only will go up as the box office numbers increase. Not bad for some monkey business. Again, you know, if you look at AT&T as a whole playing both sides, the total profit is perhaps a little bit less, but they're still making but then you then you also have to then factor in the HBO Max subscribers they're, they're getting in um, on top of the you know fifty million dollar pure profit um, that we're talking about here. So um, not a bad deal overall. Anyway, uh, that's uh, Godzilla vs. Kong. Let's move on to the rest of the domestic box office top five. Moving on to number two, we have Nobody. Uh, again, the film starring Bob Odenkirk, not actually Nobody. Um, they moved back into the second space spot after last week at number three. In its third weekend, this film opened dropped only 12%, uh, pretty low, for to $2.6 million in 2,400 theaters for a per theater average of $1,103. Domestic total sits at $15.6 million. 
million, and its international sits at 13.1 million for a lifetime total of 28.7 million dollars. Uh, in third place is the horror film un- for horror film Unholy, having a surprisingly low drop for a horror film in its second weekend. It made 2.4 million dollars in 1850 theaters for a drop of 24% and a per theater average of 12.98. Uh, domestic total sits at 6.7 million dollars, with another 300,000 from abroad, netting at 7 million worldwide. Uh, in fourth place, we have Raya and the Last Dragon coming in uh, with actually an 8% gain over last week uh, in its sixth weekend, uh, up to $2.2 million in 1941 theaters for a per theater average of $1,134. Domestic total now sits at $35.3 million and international sits at 61.9 for a lifetime total of $97.2 million. So it hit that $100 million mark sometime this weekend. Uh, or this, this week. Uh, rounding out to the top five then is Lionsgate's brand new sci-fi film, Voyagers. Uh, unfortunately, this space-faring film did not fare so well itself, uh, making only $1.3 million in 1972 theaters for a per theater average of $700 in its debut weekend. Now, domestic do- total box office obviously is a little bit low compared to last week's massive opening, uh, but still sits north of $20 million at a respectable $26.2 million. Nothing particularly notable coming out this week. Um, instead, keep an eye on April 23rd. Mortal Kombat should be releasing that weekend, um, both in HBO Max as well as in theaters, as well as a Demon Slayer coming stateside as well, hoping to you know get to that highest total grossing film of 2020. Now, speaking of Mortal Kombat, uh, moving to international numbers, it actually began its international rollout as, you know, as with the HBO Max films about two weeks ahead uh, of the release date here in the States. It opened in 17 markets with a 10.7 million total, uh, with Russia being the number one market with $6.1 million, 10% more than what Godzilla vs. Kong actually made there in its opening weekend. Now, apparently, Peter Rabbit 2 also has been bouncing around Australia, and it's made about $90 million over the past three weekends. And of course, the Evangelion film in Japan still does pretty well. Um, it's now the highest grossing film in the franchise worldwide, not just domestically. Uh, and also in Japan, keep an eye out next weekend for the Juggernaut, that is the Detective Conan film coming out this Friday. Um, if you remember, Detective when Avengers Endgame released across the world, the only market where it did not top the box office was in Japan because Detective Conan was also opening the same weekend. Anyway, moving to China, uh, in first place, we once again have not Godzilla vs. Kong, but local film My Sister making $21 million US in its second weekend for a lifetime total of $100 million. It beat out Godzilla vs. Kong, which again comes in at second with $13 million. Lifetime total in China is $165 million over its three weeks. Uh, in third place, we have $2.7 million for Journey to the West, The Reincarnator, making $13 million lifetime. In fourth, The 11th Chapter, in the second week, making making $1.6 million. Lifetime total is now $8.8 million. And then in fifth place, we have a brand new film, fantasy drama Super Me, making $1 million in its first week. Now, that may not be super high, but it did get acquired by Netflix for international distribution, so at some point, you'll be able to check this film out. Looking ahead in China, nothing in particular uh, is particularly interesting on the on, on the immediate horizon. That said, we did get confirmation that the Fast and Furious uh, film F9 has been approved for Chinese release date TBD. Uh, I'd imagine it'll be somewhat close to the July 25th release date, maybe a couple weeks earlier, though some rumors are based on the fact that in Korea it's going to be opening on May 19th, means that perhaps that might be the window to look for for uh, this film coming out in China and the Asian market in general. 
That brings us nicely to the bunch of headlines we need to take a look at this week. Um, on the exhibition side of things, uh, Paramount hit us with a bunch of new release dates. Uh, the most notable is that Top Gun Maverick is moving off of its July 2nd release date uh, to November 19th later this year. While there wasn't a ton of competition for it um, you know, on July 2nd, it was stuck one week after F9 released here in the States and the week before Black Widow would come out. Um, so not definitely not the best best place for an event film to be. Now, its only major competition would be uh, the Will Smith-directed film King Richard. Now, that November 19th day Top Gun Maverick moved to is actually the previous home for another Paramount film with Tom Cruise, uh, Mission Impossible 7. Um, So we're swapping Tom Cruise for Tom Cruise. Uh, Mission Impossible 7 is now moving to May 27th, 2022, a.k.a. next Memorial Day weekend. Uh, This further pushes back the Mission Impossible 8 film that was set to come out in November 2022 uh, to July 2023. this also moves the Paramount D&D film uh, back to May, March 2023. Uh, Snake Eyes, the G.I. Joe spinoff, um, open, also actually, instead of moving back, moved up the calendar from October 22nd uh, to July 23rd this, uh, this year. Um, that moves from competing against Edgar Wright's next film, Last Night in Soho, up to compete against Hotel Transylvania 4, which, by the way, also quietly moved up from August 6th uh, to this new date to, in order to avoid the Suicide Squad. Um, this puts both of these films uh, one week behind Space Jam and one week ahead of Jungle Cruise. And also, we have the new Jackass film moving back from September 3rd uh, to that new October 22nd date. Um, uh, so, you know, I think this is mostly so that Jackass would not have to compete against the new Sang-Chi film coming out on Labor Day weekend. And there's also a bunch of other films from Paramount, which I really won't get into because they are further down the line in 2022 and 2023. But that includes a Bee Gees film and a Star Trek film. Now, Paramount wasn't the only film uh, studio to move things around uh, around the Independence Day weekend. Uh, Universal's uh, and Blumhouse's The Forever Perch, which I believe should be the last one in the franchise, moved up a week from July 9th to July 2nd. Uh, and then Sony had Peter Rabbit 2 hop around to yet another release date, this time moving from July 2nd up to June 18th. Um, all of these feel less like what we were seeing this time last year, people moving films back to try to you know avoid the, the wasteland of you know, no people going to the movie theaters. Um, Godzilla vs. Kong definitely gave a sort of confidence to a lot of these films. So it's more about trying to find the right uh, slot so that you're not getting you know your legs cut off uh, too prematurely, or you're not able to compete against a potentially larger film up against it. So I think it's a better problem to have. You know, too many movies coming out all at once uh, rather than too few, uh, or at least too few uh, moviegoers. Now, there's another film actually coming out on July 2nd, also produced by Paramount, but you won't see it in theaters. Uh, Instead, the Chris Pratt science fiction film The Tomorrow War was picked up by Amazon to release on Amazon Prime. Now, this was actually picked up before the Top Gun moved off of the July 2nd date, so it's kind of a dick move by Amazon, you know, picking up a film uh, and then having it release uh, both on streaming and in theaters um, the same day as another major film from the same studio uh, that you just bought the film from. Kind of a a weird move there, but then again, you know, Paramount does have a new signing new streaming service of their own just kind of sitting there, not being really used for this sort of thing, so no idea what they were doing in the first place, even selling it to Amazon at all. 
anyway, on the other hand, Netflix was able to get a deal with Sony for streaming rights to their films that come out starting in 2022. Now, this isn't the same as you know the day and date releases we were seeing with HBO Max or whatnot. Uh, these are still uh, all after the uh, theatrical window as well as the home media rental and whatnot windows. Um, so the very end of a film's life cycle when it gets to streaming. However, you know part of that deal does include that Netflix will be providing financing for future Sony films, uh, which is relevant obviously to box office discussions. Uh, films impacted by this include the upcoming Spider-Man film Morbius, as well as the Into the Spider-Verse sequel, uh, Tom Holland's uh, Uncharted, uh, the Jumanji franchise, the Bad Boys for Life franchise, and you know I think they even said that there will probably be a Venom sequel coming out of this. So you know this does also include I believe older films from the Sony Columbia catalog. Though I think the current films coming out uh, are just currently a deal Sony has with stars to have their films go to streaming that way. Um, so that would include the Far From Home film uh, coming out uh, this year, um, as well as the the this Venom sequel coming out. So um, you know we'll see. Whenever that, whenever those will end up coming to Netflix. Uh, finally, one bit of sad news to end on. While California is currently planning on reopening fully uh, by June 15th, one thing that will not be reopening is the iconic Arclight Hollywood. Uh, as Arclight Cinemas and Pacific Theaters, both owned by parent company uh, The Curion, uh, will be shutting down. Now, Deadline reports it's not really a bankruptcy issue so much as it is something to do with the lease um, and probably the, the parent company not being able to negotiate a good lease um, renewal for the for the theaters. Now, the Arclight is one of the highest grossing theaters uh, every weekend, you know, at least in normal pre-pandemic times. It's a beloved favorite of many filmmakers in LA. You know, many people have a story of beating Quentin Tarantino in the lobby or sudden. So, so, you know, I can't imagine that, you know, the Arclight will stay closed for long, um, but however, it will most likely be under new management. Might be one of the, you know, the big chains, though. I'm not sure who would, you know, want to pick that, pick up that lease. Um, It'd be really interesting if Netflix decides to you know buy yet another iconic Hollywood theater um, for for their releases. So anyway, this still feels like the end of an era, regardless if it reopens up again in the future. Um, another scar that COVID has left on the film and movie landscape. And on that somber note, uh, I think that's a wrap for this episode. Uh, suit me ideas for what I should cover via email at boxofficewatchpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at BOWatchPodcast. You can find our show on Spotify, iTunes, or Google Play. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review, or at the very least, tell a friend. Any of that will help. If you're feeling extra generous, consider supporting us on Patreon, which helped me make not only this show, but all the other podcasts I work on. Link to all of that will be in our show notes. Uh, the numbers used in the show come from thenumbers.com. Uh, our intro and outro music that could come from Kevin MacLeod. You can find his stuff at incompetech.filmmusic.io. Editing and production is provided by Ninja Boy Media. Until next time, this has been the Box Office Watch. And remember, our watch goes on. Watch goes on.